0: Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's NTT 20 Monday podcast, where myself, Ali Maxwell, and my great friend, George Ellick, talk all things EFL, which means a few different things in this week's episode. It was a week in the championship that saw, or a weekend rather, that saw five of the top six win. The other team that didn't win, conceded in the 97th minute, uh, saw two hat-tricks, one of them a four-goal haul, a hat-trick of assists for a player, and a managerial departure as well. So plenty to get our teeth into in the Championship. But these League 1 playoffs, just like League 2, are awkwardly timed for a Monday podcast. But, George, I have to ask, a few hours before the second leg, Oxford 1, Portsmouth 1, as it stands, what is it like being a fan, watching your team play in their first-ever EFL playoffs, Competition, from home, on the telly, behind closed doors. (laughs) Not on the telly, on the iPad. Um, It wasn't the
1: most enjoyable way to watch a football match, I must say, because... um, if for anyone that watched the game as an Oxford fan, the first 20 minutes couldn't really have gone worse, where we, we barely touched the ball and we just had to deal with relentless pressure from Pompey. So, in that regard, it wasn't great. Obviously, the, the goal for Portsmouth brought us back into the game because they, I think the tie was probably there for them to really take the initiative. And they could have, if they carried on in that similar vein, they could have pushed themselves kind of out of sight. But instead, they dropped off and, and enabled Oxford to get back into it.
0: Starting to see why and, you bang on about
1: Marcus Brown so much. Yes, he is very good. I think the key to this <laughs> evening's game, this afternoon's game, will be just getting him the ball. I wouldn't be massively surprised if he's brought inside um, this afternoon and played more centrally with Sykes coming in for Woodburn and, and played out wide, but we'll see. Curtis versus um, but, Brown in, in some ways. Yeah, it it does kind of feel like that. I, I just hope that our tactics... It was it was very weird. Like I spoke to my dad um, a couple of hours before the game and I said to him, you know, it's annoying that their best player is like an inside forward coming in off the left-hand side, and our worst player is a defensive-minded fullback who isn't very good. And you know, whilst one-on-one defending is his best skill, so it was just weird that seemingly our our method of dealing with with Ronan Curtis was just to let him be out there. Mm-hmm. Like I thought we would have just stuck long on him doing a man-marking job, and even for the goal, he kind of like showed him. It was almost like encouraging him to shoot from that angle, which is something he's so good at. So that, yeah, like,
0: I, I guess the risk. That, I guess the risk with man marking a winger with a fullback, if you're getting really tight to him, is is then the ball in behind, in between centre back and fullback, which you'd have to be pretty careful with. Um, yeah, I, get I mean that. Pompey's patterns I mean, of play. We're lucky
1: enough to have someone. Go on. going well, I say, we're lucky enough to have someone in Gorin whose whose job it is is literally just to to drop into those gaps in defence because Dicky so often carries the ball out mm. out of defence that you know he's very positionally astute but given that we're at home today I guess we're probably not going to want to set up with kind of five men at the back
0: uh, when when out of possession. So I was really impressed with the way that that Pompey built attacks down the right side and actually sucked Gorin towards Oxford's left and Pompey's right and then they would play swift balls across uh, to to Curtis with that that isolation on long. And once he did it and scored, having already hit the post, it was then something of a surprise not to see that work again. So either Pompey sort of ran out of ideas or execution or or Oxford sort of became a bit savvier to it. But that's very finely poised. The other game in the League One playoffs, one of the most bizarre, entertaining, remarkable playoff games I can remember, genuinely, Wickham blitzing (laughs) Fleetwood 4-1. It wasn't necessarily the fact of Wickham winning and winning handsomely, but let me run you through a few a few key moments in this game. Two minutes gone, off a, ball, a defensive-minded midfield player who's only ever scored one goal in his young senior career so far in the EFL Trophy, scores an absolute beauty from range with his weaker left foot uh, on the half volley on the run. Incredible finish, which I don't think he's ever done before. Then after four minutes, a very soft penalty is given and it's back to 1-1 and you think maybe we'll all have a, a bit of a rest now. Nope. Six minutes gone. 2-1 Wickham. Olympic goal from Jacobson all the way in from a corner. Not for the first time this season. I, I, I We need to find somehow some stats because I actually think, <laughs> I know this is ridiculous. I think Joe Jacobson may have scored more goals from corners. Than any other professional footballer in the history of the game. That's my. That's what I'm going for. I can't think of anyone else who has done it with with the regularity that he has. Um, 33 minutes gone. Hasn't hasn't that been given
1: a? Has it been given an own goal? Do you I know?
0: don't think it. I don't I, think it was because that was like. I mean, it's a shot on target and it was going over the line. It you know, wasn't. I mean,
1: I couldn't agree more with you.
0: But yeah, I, I just saw something mentioning that it may have been maybe um but then um 33 minutes we saw a red card that you just don't really see very often it was a dangerous play basically too much momentum from louis Coyle in a in a slide tackle (laughs) his follow-through catching jacobson and inside his own box so it was a penalty and a red card i can't think of, of a moment this season that i can think of that was anything like that dangerous play foul in the box uh Then Jacobson missed the penalty, which is also rare. David Wheeler comes flying in with a scissor kick, which hits the post. Um, So it's still 2-1. 12 minutes later, Wheeler makes it 3-1. 12 minutes after half time, 57 minutes, Cairns drops a high ball, very unlike him, and Samuel taps in for 4-1. And then towards the end, Paddy Madden just absolutely loses it, having been booked for diving, uh, trying to win a penalty. Gets a second booking immediately for dissent. Fleetwood finished with nine men, 4-1 down at home to Wickham. Joey Barton fuming. Uh, And my big question to you, George, before we get our teeth into the championship is, could Fleetwood do a Northampton town and turn around a big deficit like the Cobblers did against Cheltenham? That was a two-goal deficit. This one is three goals. Any chance?
1: Uh, Yeah, they have to have a chance. It would be... be... (sighs) It would be silly of us to sit here and say that it's all over. Um especially having sat here four days ago and said that Fleetwood were uh, with a better side. Um the loss of Paddy Madden is a uh not isn't gonna help, but they have enough attacking quality. It's Louis Coyle who I think they'll miss more um at right back, who was sent off for that aforementioned kind of ridiculously I mean it was such a stupid way to go in for a tackle. Um and I think they're going to miss his probing runs down the right-hand side. It just, it was such, I mean, Wickham just did such a job on them in every single aspect of that game. It felt like they were better prepared. They were kind of more, they channeled their competitive energy into winning the game, whereas Fleetwood channeled theirs into just completely losing their heads. And, um, you know, they were very lucky, Fleetwood, to get that penalty uh, to, to to draw level. But except for that, they, they barely... Um, lay a glove on them so but i you know there, there were there was evidence in in northampton's performance to suggest they could come back and really put it up chart on them there wasn't necessarily that mm. on um on uh, on friday but you know i'm sure that Joey barton if there's ever going to be a manager who's going to be looking for a reaction it wouldn't surprise me if we saw another couple of red cards tonight from fleetwood to be honest if things aren't going their way um but i i'm hoping that i'm not going to be watching it and i'll be Toasting, um, you know, cracking into a bottle of champagne outside somewhere.
0: Right. Okay. let's get into the championship action. Anything we say (laughs) about League One playoffs is is ageing quickly. So let's get into the champ. Um, As I mentioned, it was a it was a weekend where... Things reverted to the norm, certainly in terms of the league table and what that says with with five of the top six winning some of those teams down at the bottom that we had banged on about having such a good record post lockdown, chucking in a, a stinker, looking at you in particular, Barnsley and, and Luton hmm. and, and Borough as well. But let's start with a, a game in which the result spelled the end for the longest serving manager in the championship. That was Lee Johnson at Bristol City. They lost 1-0 to Cardiff. The only team, George, to have lost four games in a row since football returned. Uh, the news broke on Saturday evening. Were you surprised by the news? What was your initial reaction? Uh,
1: not, I, I guess, quite surprised that it happened as quickly as it happened. I think normally with clubs like Bristol City who go about things pretty in a pretty measured way, there's normally some more some kind of greater fan unrest and rumour circling, circling before the axe comes down, especially because the season's almost done. You'd almost think that they would look to recruit before getting rid of Johnson. And maybe that's the case. Maybe there'll be something imminent in the next couple of days. But I'm not surprised. I, I think it's the right decision. Um, anybody who who listens to the Going Up, Going Down podcast that we do for The Athletic might remember that the back of the turn of the year, uh, in the hot de- hot take debate section i just did a bit on how bristol city were, were you know, every year there's a team who are doing well but actually if you dig into it they they aren't um there isn't much to get excited about and the january business you know i don't want to sound like a broken record here but it didn't really make any sense in terms of um sorting out the issues that they had so um Yeah, not particularly surprised that the decision's been made, maybe by the timing. Um, I don't think Lee Johnson can have any complaints. I I think it feels like one of those um, management club partnerships where, uh, kind of similar to what's happening now with, with Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, where you feel like a couple of years ago things were going very well and they easily could have squeaked into the playoffs, but they always just fell short. And now... There's been too much failure, too many false dawns, and it was going to be very hard to, to bring this back again next season. You know, starting next season again, I think it's four seasons four seasons in a row. They're challenged for the playoffs, fallen away, not quite been good enough. They just need to mix it up, mix it up a bit. And I, I reckon both parties, both Lee Johnson and Bristol City, will be better off for it. I'm sure if we look, if we come back to this in, you know, in in May next year, I'm sure. Both
0: club and manager would be in better positions apart. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see who Bristol City go for. Uh, I'll ask you about who the the current favourites are as we're recording. Still early, of course, and they probably won't be in any rush unless they think that that some mad short-term manager bounce could get them into the playoff places. But it seems unlikely. Yeah, the general sense I got from Bristol City fans, many of whom had become very fed up and were being very vocal uh, in how fed up they were recently. Once the news broke, the tone changes, and instead of like, I think it comes with having been in charge for so long, um, and having enjoyed some good times as well. That the, the tone changed, and it wasn't this celebratory vibe that you sometimes get when a, when an unpopular manager gets sacked. It was, it was kind of the the general sense feeling that it was the right time that he had taken Bristol City forward, undoubtedly from when he had taken charge uh, the lead positions. The league finishes rather eighteenth, seventeenth, then eleventh, then eighth, and that's kind of it, isn't it? It it was it was small progress each year, and finishing eighth, well, small progress meant making the playoffs this year. So I guess the the disappointment when you don't make that that similar progress that you've been used to, um, and there was just something. I mean, there was something missing from this team, wasn't there? I can't mm. remember a game this season. Whatever the scenario where you watched them and felt. And felt like you understood really what the plan was, who who was doing what, how they were going to create chances. There's been this bizarre situation with Eliasson where he's got the where well, he had the joint most assists in the league before the weekend, but he'd only played like twelve hundred minutes, um, not being able to find a place for him, not being able to find any sort of creative midfield players, and then trying to crowbar. Certainly in the last few games. Jeju Wells, a Fobe, somehow in onto the pitch and, and working, and it it simply wasn't. I mean, I was positive about them last summer. They signed De Silva and Calas on on permanence. Casey Palmer joined. It, it felt like it was another year where they'd made a lot of money in the transfer market. They, they've they've developed a lot of players, and Johnson has to take a lot of credit for that. But then the knock on him as well. If you had you actually had funds to use and you didn't improve the team, so I mean, we've seen teams do this before get to a point where the, the interesting thing as well in bristol city's recent history this is the the highest they've been the sort of the best situation they've been in the best shape they've been in does that mean they could maybe attract a manager that previously they wouldn't have been able to attract you know the likes of chris Hutton's being talked about a lot here um do you think bristol city are an attractive prospect for a for a manager of let's say Houghton's caliber or cv yeah, very much so. Um, I think if you're a, a
1: a manager coming into a new club, you want a club that's run by uh, an owner with a good reputation. Stephen Lansdowne absolutely has that. You they want. They say pick club. They say pick your chairman, don't they? Exactly. Pick your owners. Pick your chairman. You've got a uh, a club who have just been very loyal to Lee Johnson and took a chance with him and supported him in in ways up until the sacking. Um, I'd be surprised if they go for a Houston type personally. um Mark Ashton, who I think is a CEO at Bristol City. He's made two managerial appointments in the last you know ten years in two different jobs. He appointed Michael Appleton at Oxford. He appointed Lee Johnson at Bristol City. And that suggests to me that he's somebody who, you know in the same way that progressive clubs look for value in terms of players, he's somebody that looks, to take someone who will create a team in the image of themselves for kind of a young hungry up and coming coach. And for that reason, it hasn't been a surprise to see some of the names being linked. Um, you know, Ryan Lowe was the, was the first, uh, was the initial favorite after Tony Pulis made his way from the top of the market. Um, and I think Lowe would be, I mean, these are all going to be high risk, but possibly high reward appointments here because Ryan Lowe is a very progressive manager. He's got two promotions in two seasons. Uh, he's young and he's hungry. He fits that bill this morning. Mike Flynn is the favourite. He's the four to six favourite. I'd be very surprised to see him getting the job. But I reckon that, that the, the odds probably reflect the fact that he's probably getting an interview. He's probably in discussions with them. And I don't see why he wouldn't be, given that he you know lives. Newport's fairly local. Mm. He is somebody who, again, has done a very good job on a small budget, who is destined to have a chance somewhere a bit bigger i think this job might be a bit of a step up for him i'm sure whether he'd go or not i'm sure richie wellens has been considered by those the club as well those are the kind of i don't think bristol city fans are going to like that necessarily Houghton seems to be the the man that they want to go for And experience seems to be the um you know the go-to word here but i would Managers like Houghton, who've done a pretty good job a few times in a row, seem to get this reputation that they guarantee success. And I, and I, I definitely refute that point. Um, you know, Simon Grayson was the one most recently who there seemed to be this air about him where he would be that kind of manager who you just bring in and he would do well. Um, and then two failed jobs at Sunderland and Blackpool pretty quickly showed that isn't the case. Not that he's not capable, mm. but these experienced heads don't necessarily come with this 100% guarantee that they will be good. So... Um, I personally, if I was a Bristol City fan, would 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 want Lowe or Wellens. They'd probably be my two choices. And I reckon it's that kind of manager um, is, would be my prediction who we'll see take over.
0: I, I just wonder whether they might look for someone whose profile leans a bit more towards man-manager and motivator than perhaps Lee Johnson's profile, which was, we were told, basically student of the game, very modern methods, you know, really, really modern approach to things. But I think I think there's been a sense that he has struggled to drag a, a group of players forward in a motivational sense. You know, we talk about the, the different types of manager that have different types of success. I mean, you'd say for Bielsa, it is purely, you know, training methods, style of play, coaching, essentially, uh, coaching a, a team on the pitch. And I think that's kind of what Johnson was trying to do but it it just never quite worked and certainly as an attacking team it's never looked that good for Bristol City he was you know he did well to develop Tammy Abraham and he scored a lot of goals for them Codger was the same um you know they've just never convinced in possession and I think that that There's also the the suggestion that the players, once things weren't going well, I mean, it's kind of clear in the results and the performances, they just weren't necessarily having him. So fascinating to see what comes next. Uh, Let's talk about Cardiff and give plenty of credit to their manager, Neil Harris, doing an absolutely magnificent job. Can you imagine what it's like to replace Neil Warnock? To step into that situation, a Cardiff side who basically had no right to be in the Premier League or reach the Premier League when they did and did so with full credit going to the manager... Who's one of the biggest names, certainly in EFL management that exists? They have a you know a, a plucky season in the Premier League. They get relegated, and quite quickly things aren't going very well. And the you know the relegation hangover is is still very much evident. I mean, we've seen teams like Stoke struggle with the relegation hangover and and, and the the sort of bad juju that that brings to a club. We've seen them other teams have this for a season or two. Um, for Harris to turn it around to quite such an extent at Cardiff, I just think is magnificent. Callum Ellis. Mm pointed out that in November, Bristol City beat Cardiff 1-0 and Warnock left. Cardiff were 14th and Bristol City were 6th. And in July 2020, Cardiff beat Bristol City 1-0 and Lee Johnson was sacked after the game. Cardiff City is <laughs> 6th and Bristol City are 12th. So there you go.
1: Yeah. Me and Gab Sutton had a... Had a, had a had the, not the top 20... Uh, no, it wasn't. It was at the Quest um, beginning of season launch. Me and Gab had a bet, a bet, for, a bet for a burger. Who had finished uh, higher, Bristol City and Cardiff, and he asked me for my bank details uh, after the weekend. He, that was enough for that was enough for Gab, um, but I said we well, could have another one next year to see who gets the chips in. So, <laughs> but it's um, yeah, I mean for Cardiff, it's 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 really impressive what Neil Harris has done, and it kind of feels to me some sometimes when you watch a side. And they are improving under a new manager. The evidence and the reasons why it's happening are very, very clear. Like they make themselves very obvious to you. Whether it's a, a change in style of play, whether it's individuals improving. With Cardiff, it's it's. I find it's harder to put my finger on. Mm. Um, for whatever reason, I I can't really. Like, the performances have obviously improved, and there does seem to be kind of a willingness to actually play through midfield a bit more than there was under Warnock and, and in fairness but and it's Curtis certainly not Nelson, not not a full style change though is it no not at all it's still pretty direct um I mean I would say that yeah Nelson's form especially since lockdown has been really impressive and yeah. him and Morrison are certainly building a, a very good defensive partnership at the back um but it, there's just I don't know if maybe that comes from the the underperformance under Warnock early this season but it, it doesn't feel like there's been a huge shift in terms of performance mm. even though the results have undoubtedly really improved and and maybe that means that we can expect something of a drop off i mean they they probably i mean derby will have to play incredibly well from here to the end of the season in order to put the pressure on now with the, with the gap that they've opened up over the weekend because yeah. their fixtures are so hard so cardiff probably you know they haven't got enough now but they don't need much more um but i, I yeah i'd still have them as you know the weakest of that top 6 um but that's not to take anything away from Harris whatsoever because you know the impact he's had and and the, the way he's going to steer Cardiff into the playoffs deserves
0: deserves all the plaudits he's also got his man management spot on with a a squad that that has a lot of players in it that you would consider good solid championship players not many players in this squad that are talked about as some of the better players in the division individually um, but you can see from the way that, that people continuously come off the bench and impact games in a positive way for Cardiff. We talked about it last week after their win against Preston. It happened again here. They did not dominate this football match. They they were the better side, but they certainly were not dominating things. And you bring Lee Tomlin off the bench. He assists Danny Ward, who's come off the bench, who's had to wait a a long time for chances this season and invariably has done pretty well when he's had them. Glatzel's injury meant that uh, he was the, f- the first off the bench uh, to play up top. 16 goals from subs this season for Cardiff. The next best is 13. I think that's West Brom. In fact, they'd have got a couple more on Sunday as well. So I need to update that stat. But also defensively, like sometimes they look like they're in difficult situations, Cardiff. But I've been watching back on Scout every shot that they've faced since lockdown finished and... The amount of bodies that they have between the shooter and the goal is what is so notable. Defending in a low block for them is is made to look very, very easy. And that, you know, that is a, another sort of leftover, I suppose, from the Warnock regime. The players would have already been drilled like this, but uh, it's it's still hugely impressive. And it's, it's going to make them very difficult to beat in the playoffs, even if they are not a side that creates a huge amount from open play. Let's get to the top of the table now. Leeds beat Blackburn 3-1. Phil Hay called it the right performance at the right time. Everything Bielsa's Leeds are good at. I think that's in reference to what was a, a disappointing one or draw at home to Luton uh, in midweek. George, do you want to wax lyrical about the technique of Calvin Phillips? The first direct free kick that Leeds have scored <laughs> since 2017. It was an absolute beauty.
1: That's just a remarkable stat. I'd love to know if they've taken fewer chances. I saw that Phil um, tweeted saying that Leeds fans often have a go at Calvin Phillips for his set piece delivery. And if, you know, if he's taking all of the set pieces and shooting the whole time, then it makes sense. You'd have, thought Pablo, you'd have thought Pablo
0: might've dinked one up I and know. over the wall from 20 yards at some point.
1: And, well, and Douglas as well. Yeah. I mean, he, Douglas, Douglas nearly scored one in the second half. Um, but it was, I don't know if I necessarily agree. I, I don't think this was leads back to their best. Um, I thought Matthias Click was, was very good um, in everything that he did, especially in terms of his kind of creative passing. Um, I thought, you know, I watched um, EFL on Quest this morning, having already seen kind of the the key goals, and I thought that Clinton Morrison's, um, you know, his, his comments after the game were fair. That the referee made a couple of huge decisions that went in Leeds's favour mm. incorrectly. I thought Lewis Travis didn't cover himself in glory whatsoever with his with the way that he was kind of running back towards goal. The click tripped him from behind, and that led to Bamford's first. Um, I definitely don't think Ailing was 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 fouled when he was running across his own box before Holtby kind of stabbed in either. So, and, and there were other opportunities. Gallagher missed a very good chance for for, for Blackburn at one 0 as well. Like when when this Leeds team are at their best, they they don't concede those chances. Yeah. They don't get caught in possession running running across their box. They don't. There's so much they don't do. Um. So yeah, I would. I would have to disagree. They, they got the job done, certainly. Um, two fantastic free kicks, a brilliant free kick from from Calvin. I love how uh, I, I'm going to miss how starting from today, I assume all the fun haircuts we've seen footballers have are going to disappear. And the two footballers in the EFL, I think, need a haircut more than anybody. One is Jordan Hugel at <laughs> yes. PPR, And the other is Adam Armstrong at Blackburn, who... It's you know, he he doesn't look his age normally, but when he's got this weird kind of monk haircut going on with along with his beard, he uh yeah, he he looks about thirty-two, not twenty-two. So um hope he's great free kick, but I hope he gets himself down to the barbers or has done over the weekend.
0: I would put my current hair situation on a par with Jordan Hugill's and every time <laughs> I saw a highlight of Hugill on the weekend, I, I audibly winced. Uh, at at his hair situation, so that tells you where I'm at. I'm I'm going to be uh, heading straight to the Barbers after we finish recording. Actually, from a Blackburn, nah. from, from a Leeds point of view, clearly uh, an eight a six point gap now over Brentford is still a commanding position to third place F- for Blackburn. They've now lost three games in a row. They came back from COVID. Uh, with a win against Bristol City and then have lost three in a row. Not ideal. There's now eight points between them and Cardiff. They play each other on Tuesday night. So, I mean, if it's not already over, Blackburn's season will be over if they don't beat Cardiff at the very least. And even if they do, there's still a very big gap. So that's a bit of a shame, having got quite excited about them uh, earlier on when they were on a good run. But then again, we've got excited about almost every team I can see in this mid-table, you know, playoff chasing pack at different points. Derby are the sort of current um favorite aren't they certainly of your, of yourself Swansea at different times have played well Millwall Preston Blackburn Bristol City they've all slightly let us and uh, and the fans down having having showed a bit of uh, interesting form at different stages West Brom beat Hull 4-2 on Sunday I wasn't really meant to be watching football on Sunday because I'd kind of used up my my credit uh, yeah, because it was a Sabbath, exactly. No, I, I, I think I'd mostly used up my credit on uh, on Saturday watching um, everything between sort of twelve and five thirty-ish. But I did switch on the second half because there were just goals flying in, and it was absolute carnage this game. Like, I've got a lot of respect for the way that West Brom are are such such a good side and pick up so many points and wins, but they're just committed to being like fairly shambolic at times defensively. And not that difficult to play through at times. I know that there have been games where they've been excellent at the back. But, I mean, for for Hull, with all due respect, to be cutting through them, which maybe I just joined at a bad time. It was the start of the second half. And, like, every single minute there was a chance for either side. Um, But I have to talk about Pereira. I think he might be my favourite player this season. Ever. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. Because it was such a... The I, I I always mention it, but this reverse pass that he played against QPR quite early on in the season. I just remember being like, Hold on, this is the second tier. We don't we're not meant to be playing passes like that. And I need to keep an eye on this guy. Then we watched them play at Ellen Road and even though they lost one nil, I thought he was magnificent. Not even in possession necessarily, but just everything he did was classy. Um, he's got 15 assists and 8 goals in the league this season absolutely magnificent it was the second time that he's picked up a hat-trick of assists in a single game and I mean some of the passing was just unbelievable and his passing was matched by Grady Diangana's skill the uh, I don't know if Soccer AM still do showbo. I must admit I I haven't I haven't been catching it as much as I did in my. Do you youth. not watch? I don't. I, re-
1: I reckon. I reckon you're the odds-on favourite to be the next host when <laughs> whoever it is now moves on.
0: Imagine, <laughs> imagine. God, I'd, I'd be excited to take so many pens and free kicks and one on ones I'll be, I'll be hell's bells. <laughs> yeah, I think. I, that, keep my hair. I think that works quite well. Well, okay, maybe I'll put a put, put a message in see what the situation is. But uh, if they are doing showboat, then the championship has been ripe for it since its return. I remember Matthias Jensen's Meg of Joe Bryan the first game back. Then Diangana did one. I can't remember what game it was. But this weekend, Diangana against Pennington. I need to have a look and see if there's a clip of it online. I was going to film it off my screen and tweet it. But then I remembered that there are uh, broadcasting rights and rules for a reason. And we were loath to disappoint any of the rights holders. Um, but it's absolutely amazing. He just stood him up. I think Pennington... It was one of those where I think Pennington had already given him a little kick or a little nudge. And Deangana, you could see, was just like, right, I'm going to embarrass you here. He chucked a little step in, rolled his foot around it, nipped it through Pennington's legs. It was unbelievable. And the fact that you can get Garner off the bench with Grisicki having played for the first time in a few games and been excellent from the start, with Pereira creating every time he got the ball pretty much. I mean, it was pretty unfair on on that poor Hull back line and uh, and eventually it was that firepower that that won it for West Brom. But I think uh, Sam Johnston deserves a shout-out as well. I said it was like a basketball game. I mean, at 3-2, still early in the second half, Hull had two chances, one where Wilks just ran the whole way through West Brom's defence and fired over at the sort of at the end of the run, which I think he was just a bit tired. And then John Turrell had a great chance from a cutback, about eight yards out, 10 yards out, and Johnson pulled off a brilliant save. So um, shout out to Johnson in a game where he conceded two goals, but he he also made one absolutely key save. Brentford, keep the pressure on, but because of that West Brom win, both Leeds and West Brom have picked up seven points from four games post-COVID. I'm saying, George, if they do the same in the next four. I'm saying that if they do the same in the next four, seven points from four games, which isn't that much, I think that they would be heading into final day in a very strong position. Um, And I'm basically saying that for Brentford to get top two, they have to win out, which is another five wins in a row, having already won, what is it, five in a row at the moment. That's what I'm saying anyway.
1: I I wouldn't want to bet against Brentford winning five games in a row (laughs) because they are just better than basically every team they're playing against at the moment in both facet they are so solid defensively you know and let's remember the 3-0 win against against wigan given what's going on at wigan looks very you know it looks like an expected result but this is still personnel wise except for one change from the weekend this is still the same wigan side man for man and added to it they're suddenly they've gone from playing Without much pressure to having to put in performances in order to to lift them out of it, I'm not I'm not suggesting that that is an easy thing to do. But you look at Brentford games coming in; they've got home matches against um, Barnsley and Charlton, two sides who we wouldn't necessarily have as the strongest, although Charlton's form is obviously very good. Preston at home, basically the most out of form team in the whole division. Stoke away, another side who by then will either be in a relegation battle or have just eased themselves out of it. The one the toughest game is the derby away game so i i definitely agree with you that it's still looking and that was a big result for west brom and again they've done it at a time where they needed to do it because the um because the result was already in you know the, the the brentford points are on the board and you know it's a couple of of issues but let's remember as well this is this is hull at home and i'm still having hull well i'm not having hull you know i'm not i i don't think there's been much they, they've they worked out how to score goals again seemingly in isolation but there's the performance is still are not particularly good five games to go five points to make up is a lot um but yeah i'm not i'm not
0: calling it yet okay. that's what i'm saying four wins since the okay. restart yeah that's fine <laughs> four wins without conceding a goal uh, as you mentioned um Opposition hit the woodwork in their first two games back, which I mentioned last week as being, you know, they were on the right side of fortune there. But then in a in a win at Wigan, uh, win at Reading, and this win against Wigan, uh, only nine shots faced in total in 180 minutes of football, just one on target um, for Brentford, and the first of two hat tricks to talk about. What a wonderful mm-hmm. player Said Rama is. I mean, the second goal. He doesn't mean it. He's not trying to love the keeper. He's trying to find Watkins at the back stick. I think that I think we can agree with that. But Definitely. not enough has been discussed about his third goal. The first touch, the ball is rolled back. He's he's sprinting into the box, and his first touch is like to roll the ball, to roll his foot mm-hmm. over it while running at top speed, to put it perfectly into his stride, straight into his shooting motion with his next step. I mean this, the 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 fluidity of movement and the finish to match i think was much more impressive than than a, an overhit cross that's happened to maybe catch a bit of wind and go over the key for marshall but um look there's no doubting that he's a he's a magnificent player there's, there's there's also no doubting that we've raised our eyebrows at links to to chelsea to the very top uh, the very top of the premier league there are obviously moments where he looks like a bit like Eden Hazard, and there's a lot of similarities thanks to their position, low center of gravity, and and insane dribbling ability. Not necessarily sure we're talking about someone on on the same level as that, but um, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens to to Ben Rama going forward. Uh, and what about his pal Watkins up top, George? Because I thought, I thought you were going to make a pun pun about his pal Mate. Um, <laughs> No. but his pal. <laughs>
1: His pal Watkins up top. Yeah, yeah Watkins, uh,
0: he hasn't been able to get ahead of Mitro yet. He's had two games where Mitro's not been playing. Six goals for his team, but none for Watkins. So they're still locked on 23. He's got one more game of Mitro suspension to get ahead.
1: He had a very good chance to do it as well, didn't he? He did. Had a couple of bite, couple of bites of the cherry in a, in a six-yard box scramble. Um, yeah, I, I have a feeling. that Watkins probably isn't too bothered right now about that. I would guess, given the the situation at the moment at Brentford, I want. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to know how much he cares about the the, the top goal scorer race. Mm. If it's something he's thinking about a lot, um, I guess the you know just that insight into players' mentalities is always interesting. Because you know, is he driven by wanting to tops be the top scorer in the league, or is he driven by trying to get Brentford promoted, or both? I don't know. I'm not Oliver Watkins.
0: Moving away from from football on pitch matters to one of the more peculiar and there have been many off pitch issues since we've been doing this podcast and previously in the EFL, but this has to be up there with one of the more bizarre and shady situations we've ever seen uh, when it comes to Wiggins ownership. Um, We spoke to Adam Crafton on the going up, going down podcast on Thursday. Adam did a really good job explaining the initial story and the initial details. And especially I think, Worth a listen, if you haven't already, for his point about this not being anything to do really with financial issues caused by coronavirus. I think that message has got across now, George. Over the weekend, it feels like the wider footballing world has at least got a taste of, of what's going on at Wigan. Even though some of the messages being, uh, it's being put out on social media not necessarily fact-checked at times but um you know mm. that th- there's a bit more info out in uh, david ornstein's column on the athletic today which adam crafton has, has put together um we we're getting an idea of how things are are, are are moving forward here the the administrators who were appointed to sell the club basically they said immediately they had four people offer concrete interest and sign an nda so that so that they can move forward in that process that seemed encouraging um, for just sort of 24 hours worth of, of interest. And in Ornstein's column today, Adam Crafton's written that former Football League chairman Keith Harris, along with his business partner Yatin Patel, have been brought in by the administrators to advise the club on offloading players as the club seeks to raise funds to cover the shortfall owed to creditors. It's definitely worth a, a read here. One thing that's I just find it interesting that these guys have been brought in, there's a, there's a line about the fact that the the existing Wigan board members, Darren Royal, for example, Jonathan Jackson, who were brought, who were obviously on the board with the owner that appears to have gone awol, but who have slightly different views on how to run a football club. I think there's a feeling from them that they could have done this, that they could have taken charge of recruitment and they could have made sure the club are getting the best price for players. So there's a there seems to be a bit of concern from within the club that that the people appointed by the administrators are not necessarily going to be the best people to negotiate best price for players like Anthony Robinson, Kiefer Moore, Joe Gerhardt, Jensen Weir, etc. But the situation has got a, a long way to go before it before it clears up, I think it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, it, it's very difficult in our position now because there are so many truths, half-truths and conspiracies floating around. Um, as you mentioned, it's very important not to get too caught up in the narrative that best fits Outrage and intrigue, um, because this is quite clearly, without needing to dress it up, a very dire situation. And you know, the overwhelming message from from Adam when we spoke to him last week on going up, going down, was that it, this administ- this this process of putting the club through administration is is not necessary. It, it doesn't, from the face of it, it just doesn't look like it was it was a necessary action to take. And therefore, that means that a you know the ownership, the new owners, possibly the old owners, uh, have have basically played the club and played the fans for fools for their own benefit and at the detriment of the club. So, um, and the latest developments, you know, the early signs, the early sounds coming out of the club were that you know that, that you know they'd be able to to pay the players, they'd be able to finish the season, they'd have to look at selling players come the summer all of these things seem to have suddenly come forward very quickly and the need to sell the ability to pay don't seem quite as obvious oh. don't seem quite as, as as possible at the moment so and, and you know the the urgency in needing to sell seems to be more so that they are lucky I would say in a way that there are youth team players um, who will be especially one who will be um, you know a sellable asset at quite a high level you'd have thought as well Um. But it's, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, Paul Cook, credit to him, all of his media duties and stuff over the weekend, he came across, I thought, brilliantly. Mm. Just the way, you know, not bitter, just saying to the fans, look, we're going to do our best, sort this out for you. It's a difficult situation. I mean, poor him. He's coming to work one day, been told, you're not getting paid. All your, all your hard work's been undone and your job isn't secure. And, yeah, to bounce back from that and rally the way he has... Um, Fair play to him, and and I personally, as a neutral, just really really hope that they can pick up the points
0: needed to get get their way out of the out of the situation they're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can't really talk about the relegation battle without applying almost, uh, even though it hasn't been applied yet officially, applying Wigan's twelve point deduction. Even though the table says that they're still uh, in the middle of of the bottom half of the table, the reality is that um, they are essentially on thirty eight points at the moment, which is a bottom of the league and B. Six points behind uh, Middlesbrough, albeit Wigan have a, a better goal difference. So there's a lot of work to do, but just huge credit to the players and staff, as you said, who not only didn't receive their uh, payment that they should have been paid at the end of last week, uh, but also have been warned that they, they may only receive 20% of money owed to them. Um, it, it's expected that furloughed staff members who also didn't receive their money on payday last Friday will receive their dues early this week. Uh, there's more coming out of the club today. We hope more clarity. Um, in the meantime, we're not experts on this, but but we know plenty of experts and we'd like to recommend that you, if you'd like to learn more about the current situation, Kieran Maguire is always a great person uh, to go and visit on Twitter. Uh, I know that he's also doing uh, an episode of his Price of Football podcast on this very subject, he will be able to speak with more clarity than we are on exactly what has happened and what is happening. Um, And also Adam Crafton uh, on The Athletic has picked up the mantle for them and and his piece at the end of last week really explains a a lot of the the slightly bizarre, peculiar, shady, if you will, goings on uh, with the ownership of that club. Also in Ornstein's piece uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but there's a little nugget for Brentford fans. Uh, it's news of Ollie Watkins and some reported, uh, well, some some reported numbers for his minimum fee release clause, which could be triggered this summer. And George's George found it disappointingly low. Put it that way. So go and check out David Ornstein's column. It's a pointed <laughs> reading every Monday. Uh, our sponsors, The Athletic, uh, are. The place to be basically for, for for online written content on football, but also American sports. and uh, I've been reading a couple of golf columns on there recently on Bryson Dechambeau. Um, so if if you fancy that and you're not subscriber then theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 is the place to be. You'll get a seven-day free trial and you'll get 50% off. So head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 if you fancy reading Ornstein's column with nuggets about Watkins, details about Wigan, uh, but so much more as well. Where should we go next, George? The the first game on Saturday was Derby 1-Forest 1. And it was, I mean, what a ridiculous game. Like, my my halftime notes were... Forrest have looked so comfortable without needing to do much in the final third because Lolly's daisy cutter from range had them ahead. Um, I, I thought that Ribeiro and Cash were playing very well and I thought that Derby were, were lacking invention and penetration. The delivery from wide was poor. It felt like they could do with someone like this suspended Tom Lawrence in the final third to give them a bit of a spark. They didn't really come out the blocks in the second half particularly strong. In fact, it was Forrest who... Kept defending well as they do, and had the best chances until the ninety seventh minute, where, yes, Worrell gave away a stupid free kick. But there was, you know, it, it that he's been blamed to maybe a greater extent than he should have been. Samba came for the for the set piece, didn't get there. Uh, it was you know it's poor marking, and, and you just need to clear your lines at that stage. But I mean, an absolute sickner for for Forest and uh, and for Derby, quite a, quite a crucial point to keep their playoff dreams alive. What what did you? make of this one
1: yeah the, the the team that i've been purring over against the team that i've had question marks over and i think you called it exactly right forest with a better side on the day um they and i think this is one of those games where it's very easy if you're a derby fan to look at it and say you know we didn't turn up but i, I think you're looking at you're looking at it the wrong way around i think you give boris the credit for not letting um I think they sprung a bit of a tactical surprise because, given that Sabri Lamucci is a manager who's happy to have his team sit off in you know in their own half and concede possession, they didn't do that. They stepped forward. They frustrated um, Derby. They let you know ball players in terms of Rooney and Bird have the ball, but only in very deep areas. So if, if Rooney dropped in, you know alongside Matt Clark, for example, they'd let him have it. And as soon as he kind of came forward over the halfway line, then they'd employ the press, and it worked really well. They just kept Derby at arm's length. Um, they were the better side throughout. Lewis Graben had a couple of chances in the second half. To put the game to bed, um, I thought Koku got it wrong by playing you know, the eventual goal scorer, Chris Martin, over Martin Waghorn. I think Waghorn's pace in behind, given the way the game played out with, with kind of Forrest employing a slightly higher press, would have been more beneficial. Um, I think Waghorn's been such an important part of, of Derby's form since the break that, you know, as soon as Lawrence comes back after three games out, Waghorn is now, is now gone for three games. And that is an issue because his ability to run that line is so important. So, um, Derby were very fortunate to get the, to get the equalizer very late on uh, horrible tackle from, um, from Waghorn, you have to say, but in turn, the way that these things work, it probably led to the, the circumstances that got them the point. Mm. So it, it keeps them in it. Derby will have to improve. Um, the, the, if you only have time to watch one game of football this week, uh, and it's not Oxford Pompey this afternoon, then make it um, West Brom against Derby on, on Wednesday at five o'clock because that's the game where, after that game, we, we are going to know much more about the, the race for the automatic promotion and we're going to know whether Derby really have it in them to, to push Cardiff for that sixth spot.
0: It's a big one. It's a big one. The game's coming thick and fast. I don't think... Talking of games that you should watch, I don't think even Fulham fans are suggesting watching Fulham games at the moment. Uh, it's It's been a tough, it's, be, it's just been a tough scene if you're looking for entertainment. Uh, their 1-0 win against Birmingham, a bit like their 2-1 win against QPR in midweek. The most important thing, the three points, as we know, uh, it puts them nine points above seventh place derby. Almost certainly uh, tooling up for a playoff campaign, but in what sort of shape? Because it was another disappointing performance. It was another slow performance in possession, really struggling to, to, to get any sort of penetration until they put together an excellent move in the 96th minute. Uh, I think I'd actually shut my laptop by this point. I thought all the games were finished. I'd already made some notes for Fulham nil, Birmingham nil, and then like half an hour later, I I, I got a push notification from the Fulhamish pod saying they'd won one nil. I thought that, I thought it was a typo, um, but no. <laughs> all it took was one slick bit of combination play, one um, one bit of invention from Harrison Reed, just some just a little bit of. Uh, just a little bit of excitement in the final third and uh and honor did get the win so i feel a bit bad because i'd i'd actually slagged off lee camp uh, on the betting show and he had an absolute blinder um so it was unbelievable i felt a bit I bad reckon he, that. He,
1: i reckon he listened to it on his way down to craven cottage my
0: guess well footballers aren't allowed reckon, to bet I reckon, so i hope he didn't
1: i reckon everybody who listened everybody that we tipped up to lose this weekend listened to the betting show because that's my
0: reason i reckon <laughs> right, we okay. did we did
1: if... We we did like eight team talks this weekend.
0: Hey George, um I'm gonna leave it up to you what you'd like to talk about next, because we've got two worthy candidates. Uh we've got Luton Nil, Reading five, and we've got Stoke four, Barnsley Nil. Which one of those would you like to touch on first? Um, let's talk about Yaku Mate. Yes. <laughs> a four goal haul. Or, uh, yeah. A four
1: goal haul. Um Yeah, and- this was this was a strange one. I mean let's start with Luton. Because, you know, as I said before, I mean, Reading will give them the plaudits that they so 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 they so deserve. But at the same time, this was a some collapse from Luton, um, especially given they hit the bar after five minutes to go 1-0 up through James Collins. And then it just looked, I mean, I, I guess part of this is you have to remember that if you have a goalkeeper who has seven months worth of being rubbish and then two weeks worth of being good, the chances are he's probably still rubbish, and Simon Sluga kind of proved that with with some of his um, antics on on Saturday, um, and just the way that they defended was just I can't remember who it was for the um, I think it was the second goal where the, just it was a Sluga dropped it and the clearance was just like a mm. like a rolled pass into into his path. Um, you spoke about a, a very good pass from back in the day from Matthias Pereira, I think, and you tweeted about this o- Ovi Jari's pass. Oh. Um, through to tomato was was quite something, especially it, given the kind of the slalom run yeah. that, that preceded it. He is a very very good player, um, who I wonder if he'll still be there next season. Um, but credit, I mean, and it's interesting the way that um, Mark Bowen spoke. I mean, I, I basically had Reading down as a, as a side who had packed up and gone home. Um, but Bowen was interesting. He he kind of didn't um, give his players too much credit, and he said, "Look, you know, we've we've done this today." it's all well and good, but we play Huddersfield on on Thursday and if we don't follow it up, or Wednesday, if we don't follow it up with, with another similar result, then what's the point? Mm. So, um, And that's, I guess, the mentality that you want to see from a manager at this time. Absolutely. Because, I mean, he knows better than anybody that, that he's got, he's got to get their way into next season um, with some optimism around the club.
0: Spot on. And the, and the performance in, in midweek against Brentford, albeit a good Brentford side, was pretty grim, very meek. And I think... That's why this reaction, albeit in the in uh, with a helping hand from some shambolic Luton defending, I think will will be really positive for, for Reading fans because, as you say, there was definitely a risk of it being like, okay, well, we're kind of petering out here, we're going to finish, um, you know, mid-table or just inside the bottom half, uh, but not at all. It was a great reaction that speaks to uh, some good motivational tactics from Bowen and, uh, of course, Mate, who. Had one cleared off the line before he even scored his first. you know could, genuinely could have had five in this game. Um, but does have these games where he looks like a such a handful looks like a good goal scorer at this level, but too many games where he he doesn't look like that. and you could probably say the same about his old mate Pushkas. um but lots of lots of positives to take from this uh, Ollie Allen reading fan saying you know for all the criticism they took on Tuesday today they were they were proactive, effective, clinical. Um, Mm. Blackett down the left side was really enjoying the space that was afforded to him by Ajaria playing inside left um, and and, and being such a threat in that inside left channel Uh, and Blackett was bombing on but they also had two young defenders academy graduates Osho at right back and McIntyre at centre back both of them starting and playing well keeping a clean sheet so a really positive weekend for Reading and they do have an outside shot now at finishing in the top half they, they need more of these performances and less of the, the the midweek performances but that would be a great way to finish what's been a pretty odd season in many ways for Reading there are a few teams where we'll look back uh, with an end of season review and a lot won't really make sense like Sheffield Wednesday and another team just bizarre Bizarre campaigns, but the first time have scored five away from home in 14 years. Uh, what about Stoke for Barnsley nil? I don't know if maybe I was just in a really good mood this weekend and just really, <laughs> really appreciative of, of good, skillful football. But whether it was Ben Rama's Rabona or Diangana's Nutmeg or Pereira's passing or Ajari's um, just silkiness, uh, Tyrese Campbell's little back heel finish, one of the best of the lot, me. you know. I really like this guy, Campbell. He's. I was surprised that he hadn't reached double figures yet for goals, but he hasn't had that many minutes. I think he's on like 1,400 minutes. And when you see, I went on Scout and watched all of his goals back. I mean, the quality of his finishes are is is proper, you know, easily second-tier level. And I'd be interested to hear from some Stoke fans what sort of a player he is, you know, outside of just finishing, outside of the penalty box. Is he a bit of a net negative out of possession? Is he... You know, is he is he not strong enough to lead a line? What is it? Because um, when I see stuff like this, and his second goal as well, which was a really nice finish, albeit looked a little bit scuffed, but it was well-directed. Um, he's got a variety of different finishes, looks really smooth and in and around the box, and I, I like him a lot. So he was a big reason, I thought, why, why Stoke were able to get that 4-0 win against Barnsley, and to be fair... Reading fans all mentioned how bad Luton were. They weren't taking all the credit for that 5-0 win. Stoke fans are saying with Barnsley, being like, I mean, I think we were quite lucky here because they hadn't conceded for three games. And then from the absolute outset, Barnsley's defence was back to its former self early on in the season when they were just all over the place, shambolic, which is a bit of a shame. Um, Nick Powell was very good as well for Stoke in this one. Uh, And it got me thinking when I made that note that Pretty much every time Stoke win, and we talk on this pod, we talk about Nick Powell being that one of their better players. And it makes you wonder, does he need to do it more? Or could he do that a bit more? Because he's often conspicuous in his absence when things aren't going that well for Stoke. And I don't just mean because he's very injury prone. It just feels like if he plays at a high level, Stoke are a, a, a good side. Um, whether it's good to be quite so hinged on one player I'm not sure but um he, he was just at his I, sort of glorious technical best I, I think that's his um it's kind of part of the start of
1: play like the way that he you know he glides into you know picks up positions dangerous positions and glides into space I think that lack of um of, of running I guess is, is almost part of his talent I mean we know that in terms of his mentality, he probably doesn't push himself as much as he should. There was a lot of talk at Wigan that he was fairly reluctant to leave because he, he just quite liked it there. And maybe after his experience at Manchester United, he just thought to himself, you know what, I want to find somewhere that I like playing football and play football. Um, but I, I, do, I, you know, he, I think he's one of those guys who faces criticism for that fine. He's never going to be, despite his technical talents, he's never going to be that kind of talisman who can grab a poor performance and drag you through it. I think he's somebody who on his day and when the ball falls right and it's his kind of game and Stoke enjoy a fair bit of space in the final third, is somebody who'll do well. Um, And I've no doubt that if Stoke are a much better side next season, then those criticisms around him will go because it won't matter so
0: much when he isn't turning up because there'll be other players who can step up for him. Stoke had started the weekend in the relegation zone in 22nd. Uh, They're now 18th as we record, maybe 17th if we apply this Wigan points deduction, uh, even though it hasn't been technically applied yet Uh, and it was a a, a lovely finish as well from Tom Ince I have to say it because I was actually quite publicly rude about him uh, on our Twitter account at ntt20pod Mm. in the week he played for 56 minutes in their game in midweek Uh, he completed one of three attempted passes Uh, one pass in 56 minutes completed he attempted a tackle but didn't win the ball Uh, he had one unsuccessful cross two fouls one interception three ball recoveries and an unsuccessful dribble and it just struck me that that's you almost have to go out of your way to be that uninvolved in a football match for 56 minutes so um to see him curl one in albeit given a lot of space in barnsley's box uh in off the bar that was a reminder of what he can do on friday night mill will beat charlton late doors george tough one for me to talk about impartially here Jake Cooper scored. scored. Jake <laughs> Cooper scored. And I knew he was going to score, didn't I? And I knew he was going to score from a set piece. And he didn't score from a set piece. He scored what from was he some, doing there? He scored from some Chris Wilder on steroids, overlapping centre-back, popping up, scoring the rebound in the last minute. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. Um, and, a, and, and on a more serious note, like a very, very... Important win for Millwall to keep faint playoff hopes alive. I think um, so, and they're also the the only team to have scored past Dylan Phillips since uh, since football's return. So impressive three points for Millwall in that game. Charlton still with a cushion. I was going to say a comfortable cushion, but I don't think it's comfortable down there. Uh, even with a large, fluffy cushion. Um, but they've they've got two point, <laughs> a two-point gap above above Middlesbrough. Um, but of course, we are expecting Wigan to be deducted points and to be down there as well. George, uh, Borough are 22nd, as we record. They lost on Sunday to QPR at home. This didn't feel like a very Neil Warnock uh, uh, firefighting performance. A- anything to say about this game, apart from how remarkable Jordan Eugil's haircut is? Very good goal of his.
1: As well. I mean mm. so many we could have a Jordan Hugo podcast this weekend because he scored a lovely lob um from about thirty yards, had a kind of volleyed What well, wasn't a volley, like a half volley. How do we call it? On the bounce. Half volleyed lob. Mm. On the bounce. A lob on the bounce, about thirty yards, and pulled his hamstring whilst doing so. <laughs> um and had terrible hair. So. And he and, and two
0: and two minutes previously he'd had the he'd had a one on one where he ran from the halfway mm. line and basically almost half tripped over the ball and then managed to sort of skew a shot. Off the defender and out for a corner. A day in the life of Hughes. Um <laughs> we also
1: saw a uh and we saw Bereze nearly score a very nice goal before he fell over the ball, where he kind of nutmeg to play on the on the byline and then tried to do a ridiculous back heel where he fell over. Um which I enjoyed even though it wasn't very good. Um, no, not much to say. I think maybe um we probably maybe got a little bit too caught up in Neil Warnock. I don't know. I still expect them to get enough to go up. I, mean, I, I, deduction... I did point
0: out how big Stojanovic was in, in his first game to keep that clean sheet. I did point out that even though they won yeah. 2-0 against Stoke, it wasn't necessarily like complete shutout. I mean, I'm just going to try and yeah. mention that so that I get some credit. No, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, I, I think that'll be fine. I, th- I think the biggest thing that's happened for Hull
1: and Middlesbrough, more so than Hull's three points against Middlesbrough, is this deduction for, for, for Wigan, because that changes everything. Suddenly, um, you know, they have some breathing room, especially with the results of Luton and Barnsley. So, I think they'll have enough to stay up. But yeah, it's it's been pretty poor. I mean, they they were the better sides, I'll say again against Hull, but they were poor yesterday. Mm. And um, and yeah, they need to to find a way to, you know, to return
0: to winning ways after mm. that win against Stoke. Spot on. It's difficult to have strong opinions about Swansea City because, a- apart from the opinion that how can they possibly be so inconsistent and how can they so rarely play well for a full 90 minutes of a game? And I suppose if I'm saying that, which is quite a rude thing to say, how can they be only four points outside the playoffs if that's the case? Well, I kind of think we saw a whole microcosm of their season against Sheffield Wednesday on Sunday. They set up in a a new formation with playing five at the back in the first half, matching Sheffield Wednesday, who have recently moved to that shape complete disaster. Like the first half was miserable. The halftime review from Swansea fans on Twitter was about as negative as, as you can see, given that they weren't actually behind in that game. Um, and there they are going 2-0 up, not that long after halftime, uh, with the golden boy Brewster scoring a nice poachers finish and IU um, still contributing, mm. uh, which as as you know, I love. I just love the IU story, scoring a nice pen and, and getting a 2-1 win. So you've basically got a Swansea team that, probably feel like they've got away with one. You've got a Sheffield Wednesday team who for the second time in a week were really strong in the first half, the better side against West Brom, the better side against Swansea uh, and then somewhat crumbling in the second half, which is a bit of a blow. Um, But I mean, with Brewster, because he's quite a big name and he's on loan from Liverpool and he's won a World Cup with England, like what, what have you seen from him so far that when you see something like this, he's got a really good goal scoring record since he joined in January. The assumption is like, Brilliant. Well, this guy's going right to the top. Um, what have you made of him so far? What do you like about him? I think I like everything about him.
1: <laughs> I, I like that he's he's more than just a penalty box striker. I like, which I guess would make sense given that he's come through at Liverpool. Um, he, Given that he's not the biggest uh, and he has that pace, you would expect him to always be running off the last man. But he often drops steep uh, and can kind of pick up the ball and move on possession neatly and intelligently, which is needed for the Swansea side who are very possession heavy. Um, He has that searing pace to go behind as well. He's very, very composed in front of goal. And he's also very, you know, he's not necessarily physically strong, but he's very physical. Like he has absolutely no problem going in for 50-50 or kind of pulling his weight in terms of of, of an on the ground or in the air duel. So, um, yeah, I really like him. I, I don't think we're seeing necessarily a player who's ready to go and play for Liverpool, Liverpool next season mm. but in terms of his development he's certainly someone who who looks like he has all of the you know, it's, it's it's easy to forget that as of January he hadn't played any first team football um, and he's scoring goals regularly at the championship so yeah an exciting talent I hope the next season maybe we get to have a whole season of him in the championship I have a feeling that maybe he'll get a Premier League loan
0: yeah it'll be really interesting to to see I mean that is there's still quite a lot of negativity amongst the Swans fan base about aspects of Steve Cooper's reign so far. You can't really argue, especially a weekend where Mark Gwehi was fantastic at the back for them, you can't really argue with the fact that he has played a massive role in getting these players in. Now, whether he's got them playing or fulfilling their potential on the pitch is another question, but seven goals for Brewster in in just over 1,200 minutes, You know, if he joined in August, let's say, we, we, we might be looking at someone flirting with 20 goals in the second tier, ace just 20, which is kind of some Tammy Abraham vibe, which is pretty impressive. Mm. So uh, yeah, lots of positive vibes there. Um, And to finish on a really good note, I know that the Huddersfield and Preston fans would have listened the whole way through for our take on this. And I'm going to read two things that I saw. One from journalist Alan Nixon, who said the drinks breaks have been the best thing about Huddersfield v Preston so far. (laughs) And then Huddersfield fan Martin Sykes, who I always read his match reports uh, on a sunday or a monday Here the first words i didn't read any further than this the first four words of his match report were a relentlessly dreary encounter uh, so there you go i heard that preston played okay in the first half and then tailed off as they always do in the second half um and huddersfield i guess will be happy with a clean sheet but ooh, still got some work to do george it's been a pleasure talking uh, championship football with you Things are going to change pretty swiftly. We've got League One playoff semi-final second legs in a matter of hours. We've got a full slate of championship fixtures in midweek. Uh, we're just going to keep plugging away, aren't we? Like, <laughs> for better or for worse, we're just going to keep talking about what's happening and, and see where we end up when the when the music stops in about two and a half weeks' time. <laughs> yeah, I have to, do we have August off? I don't really know. I can't really work it out. But, um, I was yeah, uh, loving. Ba- I was about to ask you if I can have August off. I'll I'll speak to our supervisor and let you know the moneyman. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a period. Basically, as soon as the championship playoffs finish on the fourth of August, until p- probably like the twenty. I feel like this is I'd a like, com- I'd like three com- weeks off. For okay, well, let's take this <laughs> offline. I want three weeks off. And I'm telling the listeners so that if, if I don't get granted it, then I could start some sort of mutiny and I'm sure I'd have their backing. Um, go well, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Good luck, George, this evening. I hope it's a smashing yes, encounter. Man. I'm looking forward to watching if Fleetwood can mount a comeback against Wickham as well. Thanks all of you for tuning in this week please do share if you've got to this point and you enjoyed the podcast it still helps us to reach new people you know every retweet helps us massively and we appreciate them um, and we love them so do give us a hand there and thanks so much we'll talk again with going up going down later in the week and a betting show as well